Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship your holy name. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. As you may have seen the note in the bulletin, my name's Father Mike, and it is a pleasure to be back with you. I say back because it's been, it's been quite a few years, three, four years, maybe more, um, since I got to come and visit like this when Father Sean was away one other time. So it's good to be here. Um, I'm also a longtime friend of Father Sean's. We actually went to seminary together, both of our seminaries. That's a whole story into itself. But um, so I'm saying for the right price, you know, maybe there'd be some good stories that uh, could share with you about seminary times. I don't know. You know, usually at the beginning of a message like this, I'll try to think of some kind of story or introduction or something to sort of wade in to the topic. And as I was looking at this reading, I thought, no need. Jesus called a woman a dog. So we'll get right into that. <laughs> How much more uh, introduction or wading in do we need? That's right where the focus goes, isn't it? So we're going to be looking again at the Gospel reading in Matthew 15 this morning. Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. There's a few things to say about that. These were Gentile cities. They were outside of the normal regions that Jesus spent his time. Besides just being Gentile cities and non-Jews, Greeks living there, these were historical enemies of Israel. Just for some context, you might remember in the Old Testament, Jezebel, who married King Ahab and introduced idolatry into the worship of God's people and had endless negative repercussions from that. Jezebel was the queen of Tyre. Uh, Sidon and Tyre were prophesied against in Ezekiel 28. And then this one always strikes me. Remember when Jesus in his hometown went to the synagogue and he unrolled the scroll and the appointed reading for the day and he read those words. Those, it was a messianic prophecy. And he said to the crowd gathered, this day in your presence, these words have been fulfilled. So he stood in his hometown synagogue, read a prophecy about Messiah, said it has been fulfilled, and the people's response was, wow, this man, this Joseph's son, he speaks with such authority. This is very interesting what he says. And then in the story, in Luke chapter 4, it goes on to say, then he mentions some things about Elijah sent to the widow at Zarephath, which was in Sidon. The fact that someone like a resident of Sidon would be the recipient of God's grace from God's prophet Elijah. And for mentioning that, the tone in the gathering changed, and that's when they ran him out of the synagogue and tried to run Jesus over a cliff. So I say that to say, this isn't just sort of a neutral place. There's background here. There's enmity here. You remember that the Gospel of Matthew was written for all of us, but in its original time, primarily 
for a Jewish audience. So the Jewish audience reading this account and the disciples there with Jesus, not to say it too strongly, but it's not too strongly to say it, would have thought of this woman as a dog in the negative sense of that. Um, there was a prejudice there. There was a, an us versus them there. She was them. She was out on the outside. Not to mention, in the cultural times, she was a woman who normally would not come running up to a rabbi, and, uh, let alone shouting out to him. She was a Greek. She was a Gentile. She didn't have any resume to be coming to talk to Jesus about anything. But she did. And we're thankful she did, because we'll read on. Behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This is what has to get anyone's attention reading this. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Those are absolutely messianic terms that she's addressing Jesus in. It seems that in approaching him that way, maybe she had a little better handle on who Jesus actually is than some of the disciples even at that time who were kind of on the fence from time to time, were kind of wobbly on it. But she addresses him in no uncertain messianic terms. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. She's crying out after us. Two important things here. She's already gone way out on a limb, right, to come and approach Jesus, broke protocol of every kind, asking for healing for, the, for the, her daughter's oppression. And Jesus looks at her and doesn't say a word. How uncomfortable that must have been. I suppose I'm pretty safe in saying for you and I, we've had times in our life, in our faith journey, where we've offered prayers and felt like we got silence in response. It's a common experience. We rejoice in the answered prayers when they come, whether they're answered long after or right away, but, and it's when the answer is so obvious, it's, we take joy and delight in that, as we should. But sometimes our prayers seem to go for short seasons or long seasons with just a, an apparent silence from the Lord. I think part of the encouragement in the text today could be for us to look at this silence certainly not as Jesus was not interested. Not that he, was, not that he didn't hear her or that he was being rude or dismissive. If we, as we see as the story unfolds in the context of it, it's much more like a pregnant pause. Like a, like a moment that puts a little a marking there that says maybe something very important is about to happen. So a pregnant pause is in the silence sometimes rather than what in our humanists we always assume is, oh, God doesn't care about me. Not so. So the next part, after she gets past the silence, 
Now, the disciples and those around Jesus want to send her away. They want her out of there. It's making a scene. It's uncomfortable. It's not as it should be. You know, it's, it's interesting. You see this a lot in different parts of the gospel where people like blind Bartimaeus approach Jesus desperate for his touch and for his mercy and people want to send him away because he's not doing it right. He's being too bold. He's being too loud. Um, the woman at the well. His disciples come back. Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman at the well and they say, what are you doing? What are you talking to her for? That's not, not allowed. That's not, that's, that's not common. Some parents wanted to bring little children to put on Jesus' lap and have them bless him. The disciples got irritated. Send them away. It's little kids. So, it's not in every case. There's other cases where people approach Jesus and aren't told to go away. But there's enough of it where it gives us the encouragement, I believe, that sometimes we have to go around people and protocol to get to Jesus. Sometimes in life, things set itself up. Distractions, out-and-out uh, -out resistance, any number of things that put itself or themselves between us and relating directly to Jesus. Part of this woman's story this morning shows us in what she does and how the Lord rewards it that there's a holiness, a benefit, a blessing of pushing through that and not being deterred. So they say, send her away. She's crying out after us. In verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we should pause here because the next part of the text, we're going to get into the dog thing. <laughs> but we should pause here to say, we don't want to read this like we would read it a, a text message. Anybody ever have a miscommunication over text? Yeah. Who hasn't, right? Because even with emojis, even with little this and that, you miss the context. You miss the eye contact. You miss the voice inflection and the body language. And so for a simple message, what time are you coming home? 5.30? Okay, that's fine. If you're trying to really communicate something of any importance at all, how many times has a text message messed it all up? Because the words are there, they're there, but the context and all the, um, the parts that are even more essential in communication are missing. So we don't want to read this as a text message, but let's take a look at it just, just talking, just thinking out loud, just supposing a few things. In, a, in some ways, we can't fully know, but we can look at the context and get a sense of what in the world is this conversation about. There's, there's a way to picture it as, okay, the woman's here, the silence, they want to send her away, and then a stern-faced Jesus looks at the woman and says, I've been sent I've been sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sort of annoyed or aloof. Or, there's another way to imagine this might have happened. What if his glance was more off to the side to the disciples who were watching all this, wanting her to be sent away, watching all this, and he's saying what they're thinking. He knows the history. He knows their bias and their prejudice. He knows that this is the answer they want 
him to give her, look, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, off with you. But what if he's, what if the, after that pregnant pause of the silence, he's looking a bit at them, saying what's on their mind? Her response, she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. She's addressed him already in messianic terms. And now, with what seems like a rebuff, I've not been sent to you, I've been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She pays him homage. She kneels before him. That's a posture of surrender. And she says, what I think today is still one of the most powerful and one of my most favorite prayers. Lord, help me. I'll tell you, I use this prayer a lot. Because sometimes in the heat of a moment, what, what big moment or a small moment or a moment in traffic or a moment of a big, great decision, it's, it's the only thing I can wrap my mind around in that moment. Lord, help me. I know many, many, many testimonies and stories of those who have caught an addiction of any kind whose journey into recovery started with some version of, Lord, help me. A simplest prayer, but very profound. She's on her knees. She lays it all out before him. After the silence, after the send her away, after the lost sheep of the house of Israel comment. And then what does he say? And he answered, verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Again, reading it like a text message, like I read it last week when I found out this was the appointed gospel for the day, I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so the good thing about the lectionary is it forces us to look into readings and things that can be more uncomfortable or a little tougher to figure out. Where... Where does this fit? Is this the Jesus I know? He's saying, throw it to the dogs, implying she's certainly a dog. Again, there's a version of that, that it's just straight face, no inflection, just saying that. But in the context of what has happened and what's about to happen, there's a way to imagine it, too, where there's a twinkle in Jesus' eye. He sort of set the disciples up to lean in because he said what they were thinking about, I'm not sent to you. Then he says the thing about the dogs, but there's an interesting wrinkle here too. When I, when I look into Greek origins of words and, and preaching and things like that, my approach is not to try to make a, a huge bigger deal than it is about these things or to make a big theological stance on nuances of Greek words, but at the same time, there are nuances and there's different words. We have that in our own language. One word is a little bit different, but it has a whole different meaning or tone or it's whether it's a twinkle in the eye or an a angry stare in the eye. So here's just a little interesting thing. When Jesus says, the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he uses a different word than the disciples were certainly thinking about the dogs. There's 
a standard word in Greek, Strong's number 2965, kuon, kuon, dog. Simple, simple definition, dog. Second definition, you'll see it in uh, Philippians 3.2 when Paul is writing about false teachers, scoundrels, uh, people of, of disrepute, dogs, the them, the them, the not us. But he didn't say that word. He said Strong's Concordance word 2952, kunarion, which means little puppy or a house pet, a little dog you'd have in your house, the kind we have and love and don't think of as an insult, think of as a delight. Again, I'm not making a big, giant theological point of that, but there is a wrinkle there, a wrinkle that does tell me maybe there's that twinkle in Jesus' eye of saying, kind of a little bit of banter back and forth or inviting her into this conversation a little bit. Oh, it's not right to throw the children's food to the pups. Softens it a bit. And then this strong woman, this woman of faith, this woman that's come this far already, has this bold response. Well, even, and, and it's recorded with the same word, even the pups get the crumbs from the master's table. Apparently, after that said, the heart of our Lord Jesus seemed to melt. I was probably soft before that then, but he, he sort of breaks the, the back and forth and the, the this and the that, the tug and pull, and he says, oh woman, how great is your faith. That is one of the highest compliments and highest commendations that Jesus could give anyone ever. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Roman centurion was commended for his faith, believing that Jesus could heal his servant, even from afar. He didn't even have to go to his house. And Jesus commended his faith too. He commends her faith in the same way. And the crumbs from the table of Jesus on this day were enough to bring healing to her daughter. Remotely, without even having to go to her house. For the Jewish readers of the day, and for us, looking at this text, wondering, is it true? Is Jesus the foretold Messiah? That's a very messianic thing to do, is to affirm that someone's faith, kneeling before him, faith in him, and to perform this miracle of healing even from afar. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So what do we take from this whole encounter? Of all the things that could have been in Scripture or could have been left out of Scripture, this is here for us to look at. So what do we take from it. Partly we take this, this Canaanite woman who for the audience at the time was them, who was out, who was other than. She's us. She's us. And she becomes from the outside welcomed in to the kingdom, welcomed in to the life of Jesus. It's similar to the parable of the great wedding banquet where 
king throws a banquet and sends out all the invitations to the important people, the people who feel like they get there on their, on their resume. They didn't want to come. Had other things to do. So as the parable says, that doors were open wide and anyone who wants to come in and sit at the master's table was welcome to do so if they want to be there. So this Canaanite woman who is us gives us an example of the table of the king. The banquet is open for anyone and everyone who wants to call upon the name of Jesus. Somehow she knew who he was. She called him Lord, Son of David. She's asking for mercy. She's kneeling before him. She was somehow pretty clear on who Jesus was and she's demonstrating it to them and to us. And she's receiving the gift that's open to all who want to be there, who all who want to receive it. But she, like us, had some pushback, some things that made it hard to just receive the gift of Jesus, made it hard to just uh, accept the invitation to the wedding feast, to the banqueting table. What were some of those things? I've mentioned them before. First obstacle was, could have been, her resume. She was all the wrong things. Lived in the wrong part of town, followed, uh, was part of the wrong clan of people, spoke the wrong language, had the wrong protocol, was the wrong gender. It's, it didn't fit. That alone could have dissuaded, probably, and probably does and did, many people. Uh, I, or, or these days we, we can get caught in the trap of well, the enemy comes and reminds us of our past. Our past, uh, our, our fallenness, our sins, our resume in that sense. And the enemy wants to say, don't go talking to Jesus, look how filthy you are. You don't belong. That's not Jesus' message. That's not Jesus' actions here. So resume. The second is, and of course, I have to have them all the same letter because you've got to do that in sermons, right? So resume. Second is resistance. In this case, the disciples were saying, send her away, she's making a scene. This, it's too much. And sometimes, in different forms, we get that kind of resistance. Sometimes there's people in our lives that just out and out don't like the fact that we're trying to follow the Lord or live as disciples of Christ. Sometimes you get that. Sometimes you get a more subtle version of that where people you love and care about and know and who know you and say, aren't you, I mean, church every week, and then small group, and then you're going out and service things. I mean, isn't it, a, isn't it a bit much? You're not going to be one of those holy rollers, are you? Uh, that kind of, that subtle, polite, tamp it down, just be a good person, that's enough. We get that in a lot in our culture. But we know that there's more than, much more than just be a good person and it'll all be okay. We know that there's an open door invitation to come to Jesus here. And sometimes, people well-meaning or not well-meaning will try to get in the way and try to edge us out of that. And the Canaanite woman's message to us and Jesus' response to her is, don't let resume of past sins or of the, you're in the group that doesn't belong keep you away. Don't let resistance from others keep you away. And the third one, also an R, don't let the Lord's apparent radio silence had to stretch to get the R there. The radio silence keep you away. 
I know I get that way. When I have a prayer and I'm hearing silence, it's easy. I get quickly to discouraged. Oh, maybe my prayer was wrong. Or maybe, maybe the Lord's tolerating me but a little ticked at me. Maybe I should just back off. No, no, no. Scripture tells us to come boldly before the Lord in the throne room of God, covered in the blood of Jesus and his forgiveness and his mercy. And so when I encounter the silence, is the silence there because maybe I'm, I'm stuck on an answer that I want that I'm not getting? And maybe there isn't silence, but I just don't want to hear the answer. Or maybe that silence in my prayer is not being dismissed by God, not being dissed, as they'd say, by God. But maybe it's a marker, maybe it's a pregnant pause. Maybe it's the part that comes before the invitation to press in even more. In faith. In simple faith. She had simple faith that Jesus was who he was saying he was and that he could do the things that he said he could do. To have mercy, to bring healing, to welcome her, even though the rule said no. I'd like to pray for us this morning as that we would run to Jesus. And we don't have to have a fancy prayer or anything figured out. There's a three-word one that works really well, that we'd run to Jesus with, Lord, help me. That we would do it within the big deal things and the small deal things, that it would become our muscle memory to not turn away but turn towards. Turn toward Jesus, Lord, help me. And not to let the resistance, the resume, or the radio silence keep us from doing it. Lord Jesus, I thank you for revealing yourself to this woman so many years ago, to the disciples following you, and to us today reading this story. We thank you that you are who you say you are. You are Lord and Messiah, that you are kind and powerful and merciful. That your heart is open, that your table is open for all who simply want to be there by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you give us your grace and strength today and going forward to not be discouraged, not be dissuaded, not be prevented by ourselves or by others from just coming close to your heart. It's where you've called us to be and it's where you'd have us be. And we thank you and we pray in your holy name.